And now Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based financial planning firm providing investment and planning advice since 1983. Doug is a certified financial planner who could answer your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now with your investment question at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA, Inc., investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA, Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Hello there, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters with Doug and Linda has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all of your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 20 years. And again, with me as usual tonight is my wife, Linda, who works with me in our firm, Lewis Financial Management. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. Doug and I are the owners of Lewis Financial Management, a registered investment advisory firm in Raleigh, providing investment in financial advice since 1983. For over 20 years, we've been answering your questions on the WPTF phone lines. They are your questions and our answers. So sit back and enjoy, or if you're free, call us tonight on the open lines. We'll take your calls anytime during the next hour. You're free to call in and ask any financial question about your own personal financial planning. Call us at 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. Well, financial planning is everyone's business, and still for most folks, money matters are just a big puzzle. Folks have questions about planning for retirement, planning for a child's college education. They don't know the difference between financial planning and money management. They want to know a lot these days. They want to know what's a mutual fund, what's a limited partnership, what's a REIT, what's a will, what's a living will. And yes, it really can confuse you, but you're not alone. Because in a world crowded with new investments, changing tax laws, rapidly evolving insurance products, and volatile economic cycles, more and more people are looking for clear direction in their financial lives. And yet, unfortunately, the busier and the more successful they are, the less time they have to sort out their financial affairs, and people are asking, is there any solution? Well, yes, Doug, there certainly is a solution. Out of this increasingly complicated financial environment has come a new breed of professionals that are trying to solve people's money puzzles, and that's the Certified Financial Planner. It's the certified financial planner who offers something that people don't get from the traditional stockbroker, money manager, accountant, insurance agent, or bank trust officer. And that's a way to consolidate all aspects of people's financial affairs into one financial plan. It's the certified financial planner who knows how to pull together all six areas of a client's financial life. 
Doug, I think for many people, the first area of financial planning is cash flow planning with questions about their emergency fund, their mortgage, their credit cards, and reducing their debt. Well, yes, Linda. And yet for many people, the second area of financial planning is retirement planning. Those who are working want to know how to compute what they'll need to live on during retirement and how much they should be saving for retirement. They want to know what investments they should choose from the choices in their company's 401k plan. Others are retiring and have received a lump sum payout option from their company's retirement plan, and they want to know, should they take it, and if so, how should they invest it? Well, Doug, the third area of financial planning that must be dealt with is estate planning. For most people, over their working years, their estate has grown. How can they reduce their estate taxes? And they wonder, are their simple wills sufficient, or maybe they should be considering the complicated world of trusts? If that's the third area, Linda, the fourth area of financial planning cannot be overlooked. This is tax planning. People are interested in both tax reduction strategies and tax reduction investments. Home mortgage interest, charitable giving, tax shelters, tax-free bonds, questions about capital gains taxes, estate taxes, gift taxes, and how to sell real estate tax-free using trusts. What a confusion. Well, Doug, we can't forget the fifth area of financial planning, which is insurance planning. How much life insurance does a family really need? Do they have too little insurance or maybe too much insurance? Should they have whole life, term, or universal? Should they have long-term nursing care coverage? You're right, Lynn. And, of course, the sixth and most important area of financial planning is investment planning. Here, the questions never stop. What's the best way to diversify my investments? Is now a safe time to invest in stocks? What about bonds? What kind of stock mutual funds, bond mutual funds, equipment leasing partnerships, REITs, CDs, gold, annuities? So, Doug, it seems that at last it's time for people to understand that a certified financial planner is really the only one who can tie together all six parts of their financial puzzle. And to you out there listening, if you've got a question on your mind about cash flow planning, retirement planning, estate planning, tax planning, insurance, or investments, call us now on the open lines and we'll answer your financial planning questions. Those numbers to call are 860-9783. That's 860-WPTF. And if you just want to sit back and listen to the callers through the years, welcome to the show. Hi, Bill. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yes, hello. I'm uh, interested in uh, asking about when I can retire, if I can retire early. Good. Tell me a little bit about yourself. We'll see if I can tell you the answer. How old are you? Forty-five. Forty-five years old. Married or single? Married. Married. Any children? One child. Living at home? Yes. Okay. One child at home. What's your income, Bill? Uh, it's high. It's 1.5. One and a half million? Yes, sir. Per year? Yes. And how long is that due to last? Uh, as long as I continue to work. All right. How long? All right, well, all right. We've got your income. Obviously, your expenses aren't a million and a half. So technically, uh, you're you're not having a problem covering your living expenses, I presume. No, not at all. Okay. Let's go to your assets. What does your investment portfolio look like? Um, I have a fairly extensive. I have a uh, IRA that's actually fairly fairly small with about three hundred and fifty. That's a SEP IRA. You get, hang on one second. You got a SEP at three hundred and fifty thousand. Got you. I have a uh, mutual fund portfolio. Okay. 
of 1.5 in, in, the, in index funds. Well, I wonder why you did that. You must have been hurt really bad. Did you have that in, in 2000, 2001, 2002? I've had a build. Uh, I, I put it there and forget about it. So you must have lost about half bit at that time. I didn't. No, I, I, it, it was fine. I started putting in all the way through. It did not bother me. Well, I don't know how you could have been in the index funds through those three years and not having lost half of them. Unless well, I probably lost some, but I started putting in. I didn't make that kind of income until the last uh, four years or so. Okay. All right. So you've got a million and a half in mutual funds, in, in index funds. What else yeah. do you have? Uh, about uh, 100 in stock funds. 100,000 in, in, uh, in stocks or in stock funds? Uh, individual stocks. In stocks, funds. Okay. Uh, yes, 100 in stocks. My wife has her own portfolio of about 125 in mutual funds. All right. I have 170 in a 529 plan for my son. What's that in? Most of it's in a uh, in index funds as well, in a total stock market and a uh, 500 index fund. All right. Is that a North Carolina 529 or is it at another state? Uh, out of state. One Virginia, one Iowa. All right. I have two commercial properties. Mm -hmm. That, uh, are worth, uh, 1.5, of which I owe 1.2. And those cover their costs per year with okay. rental. You got 1.2 million of, of, uh, mortgage debt on that? Correct. Okay. And then, uh, several other properties, uh, combined worth of, uh, 600, of which I owe 400. Plus my personal residence. Which is worth about seven fifty, and I owe about three fifty. All right, so you're carrying about two million dollars of debt. First of all, I notice. Yeah. And your question is, when can you retire? The question was going to ultimately turn upon financial independence, which is based upon your living expense needs. Do you have an idea what it costs to support you at your desired lifestyle? Sure. Only the my living expenses themselves are not that high. Probably in the two hundred range. It's just the, the carrying cost of the investment right, properties. Right. Yeah. No. I want. I want to. You're right. I want to separate those. So you think about two hundred thousand would support your desired lifestyle. Yeah. All right. The first thing is you're going to need about four million three hundred thousand of total investment portfolio to be able to support the kind of lifestyle that you're living and also pay the taxes on it. Got it. However, that also assumes that you have, uh, that you've gotten rid of the commercial property. The commercial property sounds to me, I mean, personally, I would say that's a real losing deal. To carry $1.2 million of debt and have only a few hundred thousand of equity and to know that, you know, you could be leaving your wife a big mess. I mean, I don't know many wives would be happy to re inherit $2 million of debt, uh, I, I've dealt with a number of widows with mortgages in the last 25 years, and so that well, seems. Well, it's a grade A commercial property that that has a 15-year lease, and uh, the purpose was to uh, you know turn it over to a 1031 exchange uh, in due course. Yeah. Well, if you're asking me my opinion, that's a bad strategy, and it's it's something you should get rid of huh. because it's not going to help you achieve your goals of being able to. Uh, at least if you're interested in retiring now and becoming financially independent now, you want to move in the opposite direction. 1031 is simply delaying the pain. It doesn't yep. do anything for you. And there are a number of complications that are there. 
uh, the capital gain tax and so forth. You'd have to deal with it. But bottom line is how to achieve 4.3 million. Your mutual funds are a million and a half and your SEP buyer 350, that puts you up at a million eight five. You add the, um, the 125 of other mutual funds and the 100,000, 225. So you're at about two and a half million. So, so what you want to do is you want to go ahead and aggressively start what we call a pay yourself first plan to see how rapidly you could get yourself to that point. In other words, if indeed your expenses are only 200,000 and if indeed the commercial property is paying its own debt carrying cost, then you should be able to put aside a very strong amount on a monthly basis. If you do that, working with a spreadsheet and working with a software program with the, uh, that, that, that you know that a, a decent financial planning firm should have we, we we've got a pretty high highly sophisticated one in our firm but working that way you ought to be able to come up with well how long would it take me to accumulate 4.3 million now starting with about two and a half million you have to have some assumption of what you're gonna of what your money's going to grow at I would get rid of all your index funds because that, that you're doing nothing but waiting for the next disaster. Index funds are simply riding the market. And that's not why you should be in mutual funds. You should always be in mutual funds because of managers, because of men and women who give you some logic of what, why you want to give them money to just sock your money away into a, uh, you know, into a, a fund that's going to ride the market. I've had more people come to me who show me that, you know, they lost half of their retirement account by riding through with index funds. So we don't want to, we don't want to be that way. We want to be, we want to have a, a philosophy of asset management that is proactive, not reactive. I like to look for mutual fund managers that have averaged 10% a year for the last 10 years and have been there the entire 10 years on those funds. That gives me a reason to assume 10% as my future growth rate. Then you can put that 2% growth rate onto the 2.5 million that you've got now, add the 10% growth rate onto the monthly amount that you're going to be putting in from the surplus of the income coming in over your expenses now. And I would think that within the next three, four years, you ought to be able to, you know, walk away. Right. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. But right now, I think that you're, what's, what's basically missing in everything you've got is that you don't have any asset allocation. asset allocation. Yeah, there is no right asset allocation. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's all hit and miss. And uh, I mean, you've done a great job of accumulating, but if the, if your goal is to retire, how are we going to get there sooner than later, right? Well, you want to protect yourself on the downside, on the loss side, not to go ahead and just, uh, think of the upside or think of the accumulation side. Right. And so there needs to be an overall asset allocation model superimposed upon what you have and what you will be putting in. Now, the other part of the equation is your SEP at your age is going to also require a strategy to help support you. That can be done. The IRS does allow you an exception. Even though you'd be under 59 and a half, there is a way that we have clients get by that using Section 72T. But again, 
everything is based upon how it's all allocated according to some model that you're comfortable with or that we're comfortable with is going to go ahead and do what you what we what we think it's going to do and then move along in that in that direction the other thing i don't like is i don't know why you've got a hundred thousand dollars in individual stocks i wouldn't have you in any individual stocks i'm not a i'm not a professional stock picker so uh, so then how did you pick them uh, these are companies that i've become familiar with that uh i wanted to wanted to invest in Uh uh-huh well, generally, we tell people don't don't that's do why that. That's why there's so little there because I really do not feel comfortable doing. That. Yeah, uh, almost always we advise people never invest uh, individual stocks and never invest in companies that you think you know a lot about. All the Krispy Kreme employees really learned that lesson not long ago. I've had more IBMers in the last twenty years who have groaned as they've learned that lesson than you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, because no one ever knows, and if they do know, the market's already priced it. There's nothing that you would know that others aren't, that, you know, that, that the professional mutual fund managers aren't knowing. Sometimes it's cool to own stocks, but it's a risky yeah. posture as you go yeah. forward. But where right? else would you diversify here? I'm, I mean, do you, you just think the index funds are too low risk? I mean, too less of not no, 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 too high risk, not too low risk. In other words, when everybody lost 50% of their retirement funds between 2000 and 2000 and, and early 2003, our clients actually made money. And it's because we chose managers. Their goal was to exceed the market. The index is what they go against. So if the index goes down, then that's a guarantee that you've gone down. And if the index goes down 30%, that's a guarantee that you're going to lose 30%. <laughs> yeah. So, so I no, wouldn't do that. Are you t- saying to to go into a stock mutual fund versus stock individual stocks? No. No, there are three different things we're talking about at the same time. You can buy an individual stock or you can buy into a mutual fund, which is a basket of maybe 100 stocks. Right. Or you can buy into a basket of mutual, a basket of stocks, a mutual fund that has a manager. Right. right. And there's a major difference. And one, both of the mutual funds will give you diversification, which is safer than the individual stock. Because the only reason you ever buy a stock is because you're waiting to sell it. You never buy a stock because it's, it has no value on its own. It's, it's a worthless piece of paper. It has yeah. no, it has no value according to the IRS. If you lose it, you tear it up or anything, as opposed to a bond or something which is a debt security. So on the other hand, if you have a mutual fund, you don't really own, I mean, legally you own a fund, but what you really are doing is you're putting money in the hands of a, of a manager, of a trader, who's making the decisions for you of when to buy or when to sell. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I do think diversification is the crucial issue. The question then comes to how many different mutual funds, and there are other investment types that I like, by the way. I think you should have REITs in your portfolio. There should be real estate investments in a portfolio. I have a millions of dollars in real estate portfolio. In REITs? Well, not in REITs, but in real estate. That's uh, well, a, again, a segment of my portfolio. Well, again, that's the same. That's exactly the same problem. There it is again. Anytime you own anything individually, you're the guru. And that means you think you're smarter than the other guy. And at least in my case, I'm convinced I'm not smarter than the other guy. I'm convinced that if I try to be the winner, whether it's in Las Vegas 
whether it's buying a piece of real estate or whether it's buying a stock, there's somebody out there who's smarter than I, and I'm waiting for an accident to happen. And I've seen it happen to so many hundreds and hundreds of clients through the years that I'm pretty convinced that's what happens. But the REITs are very different. If you go into a mutual fund where there are managers that are trading commercial REITs, buying and selling and holding them for the then you're not you're not the owner of the of the of the building you're not carrying the debt you don't have any 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 debt liability do you see the difference yes of course yeah so i don't i don't know if that helps you or not but that's at least the the way that i would answer the question when can i retire as soon as you have accumulated 4.3 million and as soon as we're comfortable that it's positioned properly then that's you know that's the way you do it. And at a certain point, you have to you have to shift the uh, agree of a stock portfolio to an income producing portfolio. Is that I, correct? I've never done that. No, that's not correct at all. I've never done that for a single client in a quarter of a century. All of my clients who are financially independent now, we never make that move. And here's why: if we have assumed that money is going to be in the hands of managers growing at 10% per year. And if indeed they've done that for the last 10 years or 15 years, then why would I assume they're not going to do it as soon as we retire? Therefore, what I do is I back into the number and I say, what do we need to live on? And if your living expenses are less than 7% of that investment portfolio, then I'm assuming that there'll be 3% left in there to grow. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that philosophy that I use uh, has, uh, you know, it's it's worked consistently with, with every client we've got. We never go ahead. We start off by, in other words, your portfolio initially in the asset allocation modeling should account for both the stock market and the bond market, meaning you should have stock funds with managers who have outperformed the stock indexes as well as international funds whose managers have outperformed those indexes as well as bond funds whose managers have outperformed the bond indexes. And so if you have a balanced portfolio, conservatively balanced with a 10% forward look and a 10% backward look, then when it comes time, you just simply open the spigot. And, and let it support you, and it continues to grow. Okay, gotcha. D- does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I hope that helps, Bill. It's, uh, you know, without any more specifics, that's as far as I can go on the air. That's terrific. Uh, yeah. yeah. I do appreciate it. And, uh, Bill, if, you, if you'd like further information or any other questions, give us a call at the office. That's well, in Raleigh, you. and that number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. All right, you have a good night. Thank you, Bill. We enjoyed your call. Take care. Interesting call. You know, uh, obviously, he's had a change in his situation, and you can tell because he's only accumulated about $1.8 million. And as he said, it wasn't that way four or five years ago, three, four years ago. But right. with an income, income of a million five, then it looks very good if he can hold that income and get it the excess built into a portfolio properly, then he will be able to achieve his goals. 
You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. If you've got a question, call us on the open lines. 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-WPTF. Well, Lynn, what's new in the area of investment planning? Well, Doug, people uh, choosing a financial planner may have made the best decision by working with a financial planner, right? Yeah, I think so, Lynn. The, the best investment decision some people ever make is to work with a financial planner because a financial planner, if you think about it, they're really about seven things that the financial planner can do. First of all, a financial planner may help you increase your investment results. And a financial planner takes the time to understand you and to understand your goals. And of course, third, a financial planner can recommend funds that fit your needs because lots of mutual funds don't. Four, a financial planner may help you decide how to allocate your assets. And a financial planner can analyze how changing conditions affect you. Six, a financial planner can work to deliver information while it's still timely. And seven, a financial planner helps make investing much more convenient. So of all the investment decisions a person ever makes, it seems to me the most important one just might be the decision to put a certified financial planner on your side. Now, you talk about how a planner may help you increase your investment results, Linda. You know, the famous Dalbar study, which we've talked about on the air in the past, was a ten and a half year study of investments made in over five thousand mutual funds, and it was conducted by the Dalbar Services, and they illustrated why it was so important because investors who used a financial planner outperformed those who didn't by over seventeen percent in their stock funds, and they outperformed by over twenty one percent in their bond funds. And, you know, people may ask why. Well, do-it-yourself investors were more likely to sell on the basis of short-term bad news, and they held their funds in average 2.6 years. But professionally advised investors were more patient. They held their funds in average 3.5 years, so they gained greater opportunities for long-term growth, right? Right. Holding the hands of the investors through tough times made the crucial difference. Now, we also said that a financial planner will take the time to understand you and your goals. A financial planner makes it their business to learn who you are and where you are with your investment program and where you want to go. And they help you understand the process. Right. And the vehicles. Right. So from getting to know you, if, you know, from this getting to know you process, then your financial planner can offer customized investment strategies for retirement planning, for enhancing your after-tax return opportunities, for planning your parents' financial needs in latter years, and for funding your children's educations. Right? That's exactly right, Lynn. To any of our listeners, if you have a question or if you would like to receive our introductory packet of information, I'll be happy to send it to you. Our number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That is 919-USA-7000. Lynn, you know, you probably have spoken to, how many people have you spoken to who have called our offices uh, in the last five years? I would say between, I don't know, maybe close to 4,000 people. Maybe 4,000 people that you've spoken to. And uh, every one of them that comes in our office 
you have them write down before they meet with me the list of questions that they want to have addressed, right? Right, because most people, you know, that have accumulated generally have things that they've thought about that they wish they could ask somebody. What would you say is the are the, the, the most common questions that you see people write down on their list of questions? How much should I have in my emergency fund or how much should I be saving? Or are my investments in the right vehicles? Um, should I sell my house? Uh, should I prepay my mortgage? Just, I mean, they're innumerable. Uh-huh. So you think the most common ones are how much in an emergency fund? And um, what does my portfolio look what's like? What's my overall my investment in- portfolio look like? Right. How about retirement? Uh, yes. How can I plan for retirement? Am I doing the proper, am I in the right direction or am I, I, am I doing the right things in planning for retirement? You have many people that write down questions. Will I be able to make it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Do you? That's yeah. They wonder based on what income they have currently, are they going to be able to retire when they want to? Mm-hmm. Are they putting enough aside from their income? Right. Well, that's interesting because understanding you and your goals is the job of the planner. Now, we also said that the planner can recommend different funds, and mutual funds offer lots of professional management and diversification and liquidity and all those good things. But how do you choose among the funds that are out there? Well, your financial planner can help you see how well a fund's objectives, uh, their track record, and their management style match your specific needs and your goals. So... Usually, when you work with a financial planner, you should be able to receive information on how much volatility the fund's managers will assume to achieve your objectives. Right, Doug? Yeah. You also ought to be able to get, if your planner is worth their salt, the fund's performance compared to other funds with similar objectives and how the fund is done not only in up markets but also in down markets. And you should see how the fund's performance is versus its respective investment indices over different time periods. And, of course, you also want to know what types of stocks or bonds the fund invests in and how those securities can affect, you know, the performance of the fund. And a financial planner can help you decide how to allocate your assets. Owning just one fund isn't always the best strategy. Right. And, you know, we've always said don't put all your eggs in one basket. Right. So it's important to diversify your investments among a number of different funds that can reduce your overall risk. Right, Doug? Mm-hmm. Things like how many funds you need to own are questions that you have a right to know. Are two funds right? Five funds right? What percentage of your investment dollars should you put in income funds? and how much in stock funds, and how much in money market, and how much in domestic versus international funds. Well, all of these things are important to get a handle on, and your financial planner, after he learns your objectives and your time horizon and your risk tolerances, can find recommendations that are tailored to your individual needs. And there are a lot of issues in in deciding on mutual funds other than just let's buy a fund. Your planner should inform you when there's a change in the fund's management style, and And he should also help reallocate your portfolio to meet changing needs. We also stated that your financial planner can help you analyze how changing conditions affect you. Now, financial publications like to show lists of hot funds to buy now, but, you know, those recommendations do change frequently. So whose list should you believe? Well, with a professional on your side, using an advisor, you can gain an understanding of how changing economic and market conditions affect your particular situation. So when you do make a change in your investment portfolio, 
There's a logical reason behind it. Right. Which would you prefer? The personalized services of a financial planner who you know and trust? Or? Generalized information from a journalist. Which is what the public generally is listening to. Right. Generalized information, buy this fund, sell this fund from a public And people do get confused. And I, you know, I, as we were talking about all the listeners that have called over the years, people really do get confused. I had a lady call last week. She and her husband were trying to figure out where to put some retirement money. And this so-called financial planner came out and sold them some whole life insurance. Wow. In three years, she's never participated in her company's 401k retirement plan. And instead, bought some, bought life some whole, whole life terrible? insurance. So anyway, um, people do definitely need to work with a financial planner. If I can help any more, call the office. Our office number is 919-872-7000. All right, Doug, let's take another call. How can I help you, Max? This is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. Uh, good evening, Doug. Uh, I'm a small uh, sole proprietorship. We're trying to increase uh, our possible cash flow with a loan. And with that loan, we're trying to figure out the best place to invest it so that we've got uh, the ability to make more sales, uh, buy more capital equipment, and the usual. How much are you, how much are you wanting to How much are you going to be borrowing? Uh, three hundred thousand. You're going to borrow three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, and you want to go ahead and establish, I guess, a revolving credit line against it. Is that what you're thinking? Uh, that's one of the options that I was thinking about. Uh, what do you see as the maximum amount that you will need out at any one moment? Probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 155 to 175. All right, I'll tell you what you can do, and this, and I'm not going to recommend this on the air, but I'll give it to you as a strategy. And if you'd like to call my office to set up an appointment, I'll actually get the real specifics from you, and then I can make a real recommendation. But okay, just sure. generically, you could do this: you could go ahead and structure a mutual fund portfolio balanced with. Uh, balanced funds, asset allocation funds, short-term bond funds, intermediate-term bond funds. But you could go ahead and get a portfolio designed that we could comfortably feel is not going to suffer any major disaster. Right. Now, number two, you can put that into margin, a margin account, where you actually are able to borrow against yourself. Oh, okay. And you can then, but you're limited to 50%. So you could have outstanding at any one moment. You could write a check of $150,000 against that at any moment and not be forced to sell any of your mutual funds. So let's say you needed to take out twenty-five or $50,000. You'd write a check against it. You're basically leaving your own mutual funds as collateral against your loan, but you're not going through a bank. You're doing it against yourself. There's no credit approval. There's no no loan application. It's your own money, but you don't have to liquidate or surrender your investments. Uh, and then as your money came back, you dump it right back. You pay back your own loan against yourself, but your investments had never been changed. Uh, any tax consequences? Uh, there would be tax consequences on, no. No, as a matter of fact, you, you wouldn't be liquidating. Okay. So there's no tax consequences. As a matter of fact, there'd be some tax benefits to you. It'd be investment income. and I mean, investment interest expense. Okay. But no, I would say, uh, you could get out of the tax arena there because there'd be no liquidations, therefore no capital gains to worry about. That's a bonus. Okay. Fantastic, and I'll give you a call. That number to call in Raleigh, Max, is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And thanks for calling. Thank you very much. Uh, Doug, I was wondering if maybe we could go over a mutual fund selection checklist that might help our listeners. 
That's a great idea, Linda. Mutual funds really can be excellent investments for beginning investors and sophisticated investors alike. However, the decision process can take a lot more time than you have to spare, really. So here's a quality control checklist that can help folks streamline the selection process and make the final mutual fund selection. First, do the objectives of the mutual fund you're considering meet your personal investment objective? Have you emotionally committed to leaving your money in this investment long term through the ups and downs in the market cycle? Right? That's right. Is the fund that you're considering part of a family of funds? Have you reviewed the fund's 12-month, 5-year, and 10-year track record? Is the current portfolio manager the same manager who produced the track record that you reviewed? Have you reviewed the costs associated with the fund, management costs, marketing costs, acquisition costs, and liquidation costs? Do you have the privilege of telephone exchanges between mutual funds in the family, Like, is there a cost for exchanges, or is a specified time frame required to elapse between exchanges? Have you investigated the fund's reputation for investor services? Have you researched whether the fund has grown considerably in size over the last five years, and you really need to consider whether this will affect performance? And is the investment philosophy of the fund the same today as it was five years ago and ten years ago? And last, have you investigated the tax aspects of this fund? That's about 11 questions that people should consider uh, in in looking at the mutual funds that they are selecting, correct? You know, Lynn, so often people go into an excellent fund for the very wrong reasons or they go into the wrong uh, uh, fund or a bad fund uh, with just too little education and not knowing what is a proper checklist to go through the selection of the fund. And really working with the help of an advisor, I think, is crucial, especially an advisor that has a checklist to walk down. And if you can't go through the individual checklist yourself, then you should make sure that your advisor is able to answer all of the questions on these 10 points in the checklist. Seek competent financial advice. And if you have any financial questions, call me at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Doug, earlier you you had one of the questions on the checklist uh, had to do with considering uh, a fund that's part of a family of funds. Could you maybe explain that? How how does that work? Yeah, I guess, Lynn, those of us in the financial and investment world, we have our own jargon, which we assume everybody else in the world knows. A family of mutual funds is a common term. You know, a mutual fund itself, Linda, is a pool of investments. It's not one investment. It's a giant pool maybe of a 100 stocks or a 100 bonds or uh, a mixture of stocks and bonds. And this pool is managed by a man or a woman that's a mutual fund manager who is sort of like a stockbroker. He's buying and selling, buying and selling out of the fund. And you put your money into the pool and you've got a little piece of all of them. So you've diversified your investments and safeguarded yourself by having a small amount of money blended in with a whole bunch of of other people in a larger pool. Now, that's a mutual fund, of course, which we all know. A family of mutual funds is a company that sponsors more than one mutual fund. It's one company that might have a mutual fund of stocks for those investors that want to be playing the stock market but want to be a little more conservative than doing it themselves so they would go into a stock mutual fund. And then there might be another mutual fund that is just for conservative investors that want to be in Ginnie Mae's 
And that mutual fund has a whole bunch of Ginnie Mays, which are Government National Mortgage Association bond pools. And then another mutual fund might be a mutual fund, which is just a portfolio of international stocks for those people that want to have money in the international arena. And they want a manager who is buying and selling international stocks for them. And then there might be another mutual fund, which has just government bonds in it. And again, they want a manager who will decide when to sell a low-yielding government bond and buy a higher-yielding government bond, et cetera, and have their money in a pool with a bunch of other people, but all of their money being invested in government bonds. Well, each of these mutual funds can be under one giant family head or family heading so that actually there are different mutual funds for different types of people's objectives. and. One way of selecting mutual funds is just trying to pick the best mutual fund track record that meets what attracts you. The danger in that very often is, especially if it's a fund that has a load, that's another term for commission going in, that if you don't like the performance of that fund after a few years and you want to move the money from that fund over to another mutual fund, if it's not part of a family, that is of a fund group, then you will have to pay a second commission going into the next one. Whereas typically the mutual fund families allow you to move from one of their mutual funds, let's say their European stock fund. You can do exchanges. Yes, we call that exchanges from one mutual fund to the other, to the other, to the other. And those are almost always commission-free with no charges. And those are very attractive benefits that the families of mutual funds offer. I do confess that I prefer the family of fund approach. So people should look into this or check into this and when they deal with their financial planner? I think looking at the consistency of the family, actually, Linda, is far more important than looking at the consistency of a fund manager. Very often, we are looking at a track record of a manager who is no longer there. He's been moved to another mutual fund in that family. What are some of the major types, the five major types of mutual funds that most people look at? Well, Linda, it's really hard to go ahead and encompass the whole world of mutual funds in one quick breath. But we could make a quick broad stroke and say that there are aggressive growth funds, and then there are growth funds, and then there are growth and income funds, and there are income funds, and there are sector funds. And that would be one way to look at them. They subcategorize into about 30 or 40 subcategories, but those five broad categories, aggressive growth funds, growth funds, growth and income funds, income funds, and sector funds are the five broad types. What about government funds? Government funds, Linda, are one of the, they would fall under the category of income funds. You see, income funds can be either investing in high-yielding stocks or bonds, and government funds are investing in government bonds, and the aim is to achieve high current income with maximum safety of principle. Okay. Thank you. You're sure welcome. If you'd like some further information, I'll be happy to send you some. If you'll call the office at 919-872-7000, and then we can give you some more detailed assistance. Doug, what is new in the area of financial planning? Well, what is social capital? Social capital is the key to controlling all of your wealth. For many people, establishing a charitable remainder trust has led to the discovery of this powerful concept called social capital. You see, social capital is that part of our wealth that we cannot keep. 
For example, as you think about your wealth, you can see it consists of two parts. First, there is your personal financial capital. This is the wealth you spend and give to your heirs. It's wealth that you keep. So what's left? The second part. The wealth you can't keep, can't spend, and can't give to your heirs. This wealth we call social capital because it is destined by law to go to social uses beyond you and your family, to support education, defense, social services, and a host of other needs common to us all. Typically, we give up our social capital in the form of taxes and let it go at that. But when we do, we also give up control of that wealth. A glance at the federal budget tells us instantly that we have very little understanding of where our wealth goes and virtually no control at all over how it is used. Is there an alternative? Yes. Some way we can part with our social capital without giving up control of its use? Yes. That way is to establish a charitable remainder trust. As used by more and more clients these days, a charitable remainder trust turns what would have been tax dollars spent at the government's discretion into charitable gifts made to specific organizations that you choose. You have the same choice that many have today. You can set up a charitable remainder 664 trust and learn how you can gain control to all of your wealth. Seek competent financial advice, and if you have any financial questions, Call me at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Don't forget, gain control of your social capital by learning how to use the Charitable Remainder Trust. And remember, your financial future is at stake. Well, Linda, so financial planning is tax planning, investment planning, cash flow planning, insurance planning, college planning, estate planning, and retirement planning. What's new, Linda, in the area of investment planning? Well, Doug, a lot of listeners have been calling with questions about tax-free bonds, um, municipal bonds. And I was wondering, what do you think is the best way to buy these bonds? Exactly what are these muni bonds? That's a great question, Linda. Uh, really, we need to understand a tax-free bond is... It's an IOU. It's an IOU between you and a municipality. We call them munis or municipal bonds. It's a loan that you're making. If you buy a $10,000 municipal bond from the state of North Carolina, you're actually lending money to the state of North Carolina. And that's a tax-free municipal bond, a North Carolina muni. It's a guaranteed IOU. And let's say it's $10,000. That means that you have loaned North Carolina $10,000, and they've given you back a piece of paper, which is an IOU, just like a CD is at the bank, and it says that they guarantee to pay you back your $10,000 at a certain time. Right. That's the maturity date. They guarantee to pay you back. It's an IOU. It's guaranteed to pay back by the North Carolina, North Carolina to you. And along the way, they will pay you interest for loaning them the money. And like you said, maybe it's 4%, 5%, or whatever, and because it's lent to the state of North Carolina, it's tax-free interest income that they're, you don't have to report the interest they're paying you. Okay? Now that's one way. That's a tax-free municipal bond. Another way to buy tax-free bonds are through mutual funds of tax-free bonds. And a third way is through unit investment trusts. Unit investment trust of tax-free bonds. So we have these three ways. You can buy one bond, or you can buy into a whole pool of them, 
a unit investment trust of tax-free bonds or a mutual fund of tax-free bonds. Well, what is it when when a person buys through a unit investment trust? They are fixed portfolios of investments. There are a pool of them. It's a whole bunch of them packaged into one pool, and you buy an interest in that pool for maybe a thousand dollar interest. So instead of uh, if you want to invest ten thousand dollars, you buy ten thousand dollars in a pool which might have a million dollars of municipal bonds of tax free bonds, and then you go ahead. And the bonds are supposed to be held until the trust expires. So, what happens while you're waiting?、Um, do you get the interest back? Yeah. As a matter of fact, while you're waiting, you get a pro rata share of the interest in all of the bonds in the entire pool. Now, if any of the bonds in the trust are sold, you also get a pro rata share of that principal, and then the remaining principal is distributed to you when the trust matures. So, can you redeem your your shares early? Yes, you can. You can go ahead, just like in a mutual fund. You can sell your shares and come out of it early. But depending on the market conditions, you might get back more or less than you paid for it. I guess the larger question is: Should a person buy unit trust? When I mean, is there any other vehicle that's more suitable than well, buying a unit? You know. Yeah, the real question that I have, the larger question is, why do you buy a unit investment trust at all when you can buy a tax-exempt mutual fund or a municipal bond mutual fund? Because you see, unit investment trusts claim that they outperform mutual funds, but who knows? Most trusts don't publish their data daily in the newspapers like a mutual fund. And then the unit investment trust will generally charge sales loads of anywhere between three and five percent, and that's fine. But the problem is that we don't know enough about them. To really be able to track them, and if you can get a pool of mutual, a pool of tax-free bonds in a mutual fund, as opposed to a pool of municipal bonds in a unit trust, then the real question is, why should we go ahead and get them? There are a couple of other things I dislike. You can only get your dividends twice a year, as opposed to on a monthly basis. Yes,、right? some of them do let you pay monthly, but as opposed to you cannot reinvest. Your dividend and go back in if you don't want it, like you can in a mutual fund. So it can't compound for the future. So you're getting that little twenty-five or fifty-dollar check. The other thing is the principal is being paid out to you, and they'll reach a day when you get your last check and it's all over, and you say, "Where's my money?" And、yeah. you don't realize you've been spending your principal along the way. Right, you've been getting a bigger payout, but you've also been shrinking the principal. So. But I do like the unit investment trust better than the individual municipal bonds because of diversification. It's safer. What what do you say sometimes? Eat, don't eat your chickens. Eat yeah. the eggs. Yeah, don't kill your chickens. <laughs>、uh, eat the、right. eggs. If you would like to call the office at nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand, I'll be happy to send information regarding this. Well, Doug, let's take a call. Barry Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you? Well, I just had a question about. Philosophy of inclusive wrap fee funds versus more standardized mutual funds, and what your position as a financial planner is on one versus the other. Well,、uh, and it's an interesting question. Generally, I won't take a philosophical call, but different professionals do it a different way. The thing that I feel is most important is that you find a financial planner who is doing financial planning. If you're just working with the world of investments and leaving out your estate issues, your income tax issues, your cash flow issues, your retirement issues, all of the other areas that a financial planner is trained to be working on. 
then you're really only running on two cylinders and you're cheating yourself and you shouldn't be dealing with a financial planner. And if you approach it that way, at least dealing with a real planner, you generally get more service and a more professional approach for less money than what you're going to get on a wrap fee arrangement at one of the brokerage firms. I know our fees are lower than the wrap fees that the brokerage firms charge, and we do the entire thing, the tax planning, the estate planning, the trust, the wills, the retirement planning, and everything. But it's a nice, easy way to make money with the wrap fees. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to do a thing. You just go ahead, and the money just comes to you, and, and we see people that are doing that. I philosophically don't approve of that. Okay. Well, that's what I was asking. Yeah, and people sometimes want a more comprehensive service, and that's what a planner that does it traditionally, the way that Doug does it, can find. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you for calling, Thank Barry. You. you know, Doug, the uh, bottom line is that uh, people need to find out what their money's doing for them, right? I mean, well, get more money... for your money. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. That's true. But I really think it's a service. It's value-added service. It's If you're going to a surgeon then you ought to know that you're going to a surgeon and not not find one type of doctor versus another type of doctor. If you're going for a financial planner and for financial planning, you should be getting financial planning, not just money management. If you would like some more information on this, I'll be happy to either send you some information or discuss it with you further. And you can call me at the office, and the number is 919-872-7000. That's 919 919- USA 7000, and I'll be happy to do what I can to answer your questions. Well, that's all the Money Matters we have time for today. So we want to thank all our listeners for joining us. And for any other questions you may have, call my office during the week, and we'll set up an appointment to meet with you personally. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And we'll be back next week on this same station at the same time, In the meantime, have a great week, and remember, your money matters because your financial future is at stake. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug and Linda in Raleigh at 872-7000. That's USA 7000. Listen again next Sunday at 605 for Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis on 680 WPTF.